The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I also celebrate the massive contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples have made to sport, and I acknowledge their contribution across the world. Hey everyone, Michelle Redfern here, your host of the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. This is the podcast about smashing the patriarchy in sport. I know from my work as a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant that it's really important to fix systems and remove barriers that prevent women from all identities from reaching their full potential in the sport industry and of course beyond. The guests on this podcast are game changers. Pardon the pun, actually no pun intended. They are people of different genders, from different places and from different parts of the sports industry. What they all have in common though is that they are agitating, advocating and activating for gender equality in sport. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back listeners to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. And as you know, this season, I'm talking to people who are smashing the patriarchy. So really looking at the good old boys club in sport and saying, what might I do in my time in sport to dismantle that and help other people, particularly women, have a say and to also achieve their potential in sport. And today I'm delighted to be talking with Matt Hammond. Now, Matt and I have known each other for a little while now. We bumped into each other when I was doing some work for his employer when he was still here in Australia and now he's based in New York. Matt is, well, I'm going to tell you my view of Matt and then I'm going to ask Matt to introduce himself. Matt is a young guy, so he's young compared to me, uh, a young guy. He's Anglo-Celtic. He's cisgendered, straight, and he works in sport. So, you know, at first glance, you'd go, okay, so here's a dude who's part of the system. And Matt certainly is, but Matt is determined to change the system. And that's what struck me from the very first moment I was able to get to know Matt. I was running a bit of a a session around diversity and inclusion and his curiosity and his willingness to go further and his ability to say, hey, I need advice. Um, I want to be better. I want to do better. Just really struck me as someone who's actually dinkum about making a change. So it started back then and it continues. And of course, we do share a love of sports. That's why I really wanted to interview Matt was because he is in the sporting system and, of course, that system is so big and so diverse, but he's really determined to make change and he's an active ally and he's always seeking out information. So if there was one word that I would use to describe Matt, it's curious and, in fact, respectfully curious and I really, really appreciate that about him. Anyway, so Matt, welcome to the pod. It's so very, very cool to have you here. Thank you so much. They were very kind words, Michelle. You've been a big, big influence and a big inspiration to me. So to hear you say that, it genuinely makes me feel very good. Thank you. Well, look at us go, a mutual admiration society. What's not to love about that, right? So let's start from the start. So tell us about you. Where did you grow up and what's been your life journey and how have you come to be the person that you are with the views and that core belief system that you have about, well, I, I shouldn't put words into your mouth, but about inclusion, equality and equity. So I grew up in a country town down in Gippsland, two hours from Melbourne. Sport has always pretty much been my life. Finished school, 
wasn't sure what I wanted to do studying wise, knew that I loved sport. So I went and did sport management. Like it was as simple as it had the word sport in the title and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I worked for the AFL for a while, went and played a bit of footy myself in Canberra. Then I went overseas and I came back and I was looking for a job, for a career job. And, and I was lucky enough to land a job at Sportsbet. And I was, a, I was a trader. So what person who sets the prices and the odds started off on AFL and cricket and kind of worked my way up to the point where I was head of domestic sports there. And then coming up on two years, transferred over here to the US to help set up the um, trading team here, who I don't know if a lot of people would know that Sports betting actually wasn't legal in the US until a few years ago. There was in places like Vegas, but it wasn't across the rest of the country. So as that's unfolding across each state, I was brought over here to try to help. And then back to your point around sort of, I guess, when did I grow into my advocacy aspect? I think it was always probably sitting right in front of me. My partner was a big influence on me, sort of opening my eyes. And I also think the real turning point was probably when I was in the leadership position at work and then I've realized that I could actually have a serious impact. So your lovely partner has has been an influence on you in what way and I guess what did she bring to you that you hadn't been aware of? Where I'm going with this Matt is that we're often surrounded by people who can help us see and hear different experiences than what we've had ourselves. Was there one aha moment or was it a series of them and and how did that happen? I don't think it was an aha moment, but it was probably just understanding the different life that women have to negotiate compared to straight white men. Even just with regard to the most basic things like safety and the kind of things that they're having to think about and travelling on the subway and walking home like, and this isn't just for women, it's obviously for a lot of different people. But for me, like I've always been athletic and tall and I'm not I've never had to really worry about my own safety so little things like that I was starting to learn I'm like despite us all operating in the same world there's so many different things that women have to consider and that's just in a general how do I get home from work situation on top of that there's the actual work and I'm not getting the same opportunities and the gender wage gap and the things I'm expected to do at work without receiving accolades for I don't know if you would say it was a complete aha but it was just from listening and learning that I had to check my privilege and understand that this whole system was set up for people like me to succeed. And, you know, I've definitely benefited from that. Yeah. I wish there was just that exact pinpoint moment, but it was a bit of a a gradual thing. And uh, I think just how much you learn from those conversations makes you want to learn more. Just kind of wanted to be a sponge and be like, if there's so much I don't know about all of these small things, there's still so much I don't know. And every time I talk to someone like you or I talk to my partner or I talk to the women I work with, like there's just always so much to learn and things that we just don't consider as men. We haven't had to. And to be honest, you still don't have to the way that things are set up, but that's incorrect. Or from my perspective, I know from your perspective, but, and this is the thing that kills me a little bit is that, and correct me if you disagree with this and correct me if you disagree with anything that I say, obviously, but I feel like, unfortunately, the most change needs to come from the people who are least likely to change because it's benefiting them the most. Cishet white men, the system is designed for us to succeed. If we were to change this, it's going to potentially be at the detriment of some of our own opportunities. However, I firmly believe it's the right thing to do. But it's frustrating that that's the group that can really enact the change. And that's as far as, you know, politics and CEOs and boards and majority men like that who have got to be willing to change things 
perhaps not for their own advantage, which I think is what makes this so difficult because if the minority groups who are always underrepresented and struggle with so many things, if they had the ability to change these things, I just think we'd live in a better world, but that's not the world we live in. I agree mostly with what you've said and I think where I don't necessarily agree or I want to provide a different way of looking at things is if we designed a brand new system and it's the system of life, the system of work, everything that we're talking about and we had all voices around the table, I wonder what that system might look like and I wonder if the current beneficiaries of a system that's been built by them for them would actually lose. For me, I'm a really big fan of entrepreneurial innovative thinking and bringing that into diversity, equity and inclusion work. And of course, the the very genesis of innovation is to cognitive diversity and having different people going, oh, shivers, okay, I hadn't thought about it like that. So I wonder, Matt, if, if we did have different voices around the table, if men would really lose there's a lot of memes that go around the internet, right? And there's particularly for, for women's rights and things like that. It's like, well, equality is not a pie and giving us, meaning women, a larger slice doesn't mean you get a, a lesser slice. It's actually, this is about saying it's actually about baking a whole new pie. And I look at organisations that I've either been a part of or worked with or consulted to and there's one consistent thing that stands out to me is that we're still, we've still got a zero sum game mentality a little bit, i.e. there has to be a guy stepped down from the leadership team for a woman to take their place. What if we didn't have to do that? So that's where I'd challenge that thinking. Yeah. I wonder how might we, it's such a great, three great words, how might we change the system so that no one loses, because actually we don't have to have losers in this. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. But it's a really, really important one to have. I think what you've demonstrated there, though, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on, checking your privilege. And I also am privileged and have benefited from a system that benefits white women like me. You know, feminism has been very rightfully so examined over time to be very white and very exclusive. So for me, you know, I'm the same as you. Over a period of time, I went, okay, you know, I have actually benefited from, I am tall, I am white, I am confident. (laughs) And I've now got some age on my side as well, which, you know, some would see as a disadvantage, but I was saying to a group of people yesterday, I'm saying the same things I was saying 30 years ago, but people take notice of me now because I'm an older woman. So I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around. If every single one of us understood our privilege, our unearned privilege, and I know there's probably going, oh, I'm not privileged, I've had to work hard. That's not what we're talking about, folks. We're talking about how have you benefited inadvertently through a pure accident of birth to achieve what you've achieved. So I think that's number one call out from you, Matt. Figure out what your privilege is and then what you might do about it. And I think that's my next question to you. You decided to do something about it. So you attained a level of authority and responsibility in your organisation and you decided to do something about inequity, inequality. What does that look like in practice? I really want to get quite practical for our listeners because if there's someone listening going, well, actually, I'm a boss. I'm a manager, I've got quite senior in my organisation or I've got influence, what should I be doing? I think there's probably two different parts. Like even just socially, I think trying to call out misogynistic behaviour is something that I'm trying to do, but it is very hard to do, especially when you're in a social setting. But it's something as simple as 
not laughing at a sexist joke or something like that. I think you can just plant a seed in someone and, or, you know, calling something out, be like, oh, that wasn't that funny, mate. There's that aspect that you can do. So not even in the work setting, just to start doing that. And that's something that I try to do, but it's even as someone who really does try to be aware of it, it's hard to catch them. And then it's hard to be willing to do that in the real time. On the work side of things, the actual tangible things that we've tried to do is probably started with having an honest conversation and understanding what people's concerns were and, and whether or not, you know, they thought it was the right thing to do. There's a lot of research that you yourself always share, which is if you don't follow Michelle on LinkedIn, highly recommend it. You'll learn a lot. <laughs> you know, around companies that they do succeed. Like there's actually statistics, there's, there's data behind this. It's not just someone's idea. And then the other things that we started trying to do was we like, rewrote our job descriptions to make the language more inclusive. So you, there's things like a gender decoder, you can put your job through and you can, you can get that better language. We made sure to include women in our interview process. So whenever someone was coming in, there was a different voice you weren't just hearing from a couple of men who might've been in the industry for a long time. We decided to advertise in different spots. So you can probably keep going back to the same well and continuing to hire probably good staff, but you're going to get people that all think exactly the same and they're not going to challenge your, your notions as you were mentioning earlier. So we try to get into sporting organizations, we try to get into universities, try to get women, especially senior women around the business to share our jobs wider to reach their networks. I trusted our process once we got people through the door. I trusted our recruiting process once we made those changes and I also trust the culture that we had with setting people up for success but trying to get that more diverse range of applicants at the start is the problem that I'm continuing to struggle the most with. And it can be really disheartening, but that's probably the area that, you know, we're looking forward to trying to doing that. And in the US in particular, people don't even know these jobs exist. It's another extra blocker. Conferences, if there was ever a DEI session at work, attending and actually buying into it and listening to people like you who would come and educate. I created a program that, was for a pathway to get into our area from within the business. And the idea being that you could tap into a, an area of the business that had really good diversity and you could create a pathway for them and educate them on the area that you were in. And it would teach them about that. And maybe not everyone was interested, but somewhere and, you know, trying to create a pathway that way where it's like, okay, there are parts of our business that have nailed this or, not that it's not ongoing, but you walk around the room and you're like, this is fantastic seeing it. And then trying to sort of learn from what they've done and create pathways from those areas into ours, tried to associate with companies like Wise, Women in Sports and Entertainment, so attend their functions, try to get, you know, out in newsletters. There's a newsletter here called The Gist, which is female owned and operated. Maybe you could mentor people around the business ask recruiters around the business, talk to other developers, you know, if there's some roles that people were going for and they're like, hey, you might have someone who might not quite have been suitable for your role, but maybe you were suitable for ours instead. And we sort of utilize data science is a really good pathway. Like that's quite similar to, to trading. So I've fully gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but there's some of the things that, you know, we're actually done and are trying to do. It's interesting you said data science because I want to come back to the data because I'm pick up on something you said which is really important for everyone listeners is find who's doing it well. Now it might be representation of women overall in your organisation. It might be representation of women in leadership in your organisation. Of course, both are important. There are pockets of brilliance. There are green shoots everywhere. And I think one of the things that I see as 
as my role in sport, and there are others who are doing it really well. I've done another interview with Jen Dorman, who's the president of Women's Sport Australia, is for us to perform a connecting or an aggregating role. So I love connecting people with people, particularly when they can learn from each other. And I think in your organisations or even in your sport, because let's face it, your competitors on the field, but off the field, we should all be sharing this is what we do well and this is for the greater good. So I think that first call to action there, Matt, number one is know your data. So where are your strengths and how do you play to them as an organisation? Where are your weaknesses and what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that to close those gaps? The athlete's mindset is a perfect one to bring to the business of sport or to business full stop because there is no athlete in the world, a leader otherwise, that isn't going to be asking to be put into the race, the position, the whatever it may be that is their strength area. And there is no athlete that's dinkum that isn't going to be working on stuff that may stop them from reaching their full potential. And in business, we can do the same, right? So you go, okay, show me the data. Where are we strong? Where are we weak? And what do I do about that? And then we go, okay, so who inspires us? Who's the strength for you? Those two pieces of information that have come out are really important. Where are we strong in the business and how can I learn from that? But also the second part is, what do I do about that? Creating the pathways and creating pathways that perhaps women and other underrepresented folks didn't realise existed for them. And you and I have talked before about the fact that particularly in your part of the business and your part of the of the world, it's relatively new that the jobs that you've that you've got and some people don't even understand that they exist yet. And I think being really visible about this is the job and it exists, but hey, you would be great for that. We know from research that often we've got to invite women in rather than waiting for them to show up. I love the fact that you've called out WISE. They're a great organisation, folks. So have a look at, you know, Kathy and her team, what they're doing to really, again, aggregate all of the great stuff about women in sport. So what I want to kind of go into now is when you hit the blockers. So leadership under duress, because clearly there is still the mindset by some folks that I'm going to lose as a result of equality. So here you are around the leadership table having conversations and introducing the concept of, hey, we need more women. What's the kind of pushback that people need to be on the lookout for and how have you navigated it? I think the first pushback you'll probably get, well, what I've found is like, why should we do it? Which we have spoken to a little bit. And that fear of this person's going to get my job and they're not going to get that job on merit, which is not what we're trying to do here and is not the case, but it's that There's women that can do this job just as well as men. They just don't know it and they're not applying for this role. We're still not going to do something that's just a token hire because I think you don't set anyone up for success by doing that. So the why question is probably something that you would catch early. I think it's the first thing that drops off when pressure is applied. So you might be big company talk. We're going to hire diversely. Here's our big plan. We've got all these people involved. Let's go for it. And then... All of a sudden, I don't know, something like COVID hits or the company's booming and we need to hire really quickly. It's like, hey, we need five more people and we can nail this. It's worth $5 million to the company. First thing that goes is all of those nice plans you had that we had this policy, we were going to take our time recruiting to do it right. And I just feel like immediately it's like, don't worry about that. We've got to get these people in. 
and that happens so quickly and I think that's really common and so trying to stand by your principles and the, and the changes that you want to do in order to not let that happen is tough with regards to me navigating those I'm quite lucky now that I have a very we have a female CEO who's very passionate about diversity and Sportsbet did as well so it was great in those regards so if I get pushback knowing that at the very top this is something that is taken seriously and people care about it I feel like I can keep going up until someone's going to take me serious enough and if that means going all the way to the CEO and being like I'm trying to do the right thing here I'm trying to hire diversely being able to go all the way up to there and knowing that that'll land and it'll sort of have to come from the top down so I think that's why it's so important when your board's on board with this like your c-suite your CEO it's obviously hugely important on the why we should do it I think again like we spoke about bringing those statistics and data to the forefront people especially in my industry it's all about numbers if you come under pressure and love numbers and like sport, then this could be the job for you. So we're hiring if, you, if you're listening in. This is not just my opinion. Like I'm not just the one person here. Here's some statistics and some data to back it up. Here's some articles, here's some resources. Here's some things like that. You know, people like yourself talk to people like you who teach, educate, make us better, bring them into the company to help if you can't have that conversation well enough yourself. I don't know if I fully answered the question there, but. Yes, you have, because there's two key call-outs. Number one is, you're right, you have to have the board and the C-suite on board, pardon the pun. It's a tough game to agitate and advocate from the bottom up. You think about football, the squeeze play, you've got to have a squeeze play going on. You've got to have top down, bottom up, always, always, always. And it doesn't matter what change you want to make. You actually have to win the hearts, the minds and the efforts of everyone in the organisation to come towards it. And I agree, when you do bump up against resistance, understand where it's coming from and also understand that person or people's preferences. Now, there's going to be some who go, you can just say, you know, it's the right thing to do, right? And that's going to land with them. And you can have that conversation. But then there are others who need to be convinced the business case, which you know, I've got to say, honestly, still frustrates me that we're still talking about the business case. However, I get it. We want to engage the greatness in others and say, you know, okay, if, if I need to get you there and you need facts and data, here are the facts and here is the data. But ultimately, if you can say, hey, I'm going to refer to the higher authority here, go to the boss because the boss is on board. You can go, all right, sweet. You know, having that air cover is a very, very good place to be. So I'm, I'm pleased for you and the goals that you've got personally and professionally that you've got a C-suite that's on board. It's tricky for those of us in organisations and in the industry where you don't have that air cover. So that's another call out boards and CEOs you need to get on board. There are so many system-wide factors now to make that more possible. And I look at your home state, Victoria, where I am in, in Australia, I look at that, some of the legislation and the funding rules that have changed here that have just you know, said, if you're not a gender equal or at least moving towards a gender equal organisation, you're not going to be eligible for a whole bunch of stuff, including funding. So the government has really stepped into play there. And I think as leaders in organisations, we can do the same thing. Hey, there's some table stakes here, to, an analogy from your part of the word, there's table stakes, you know, there's a price of entry here. And the price of entry is you need to actually be dinkum about equality in your organisation. So that top down is, is really, really important. Just to jump in, I think 
people like when diversity targets and stuff get set, I feel like it scares a lot of people off. And again, please correct me if I'm wrong here. I think they mistakenly set targets that are like, we have to hire 50% of women or something like that, which in some cases is achievable in certain industries. In something like mine, I think it needs to be dialed back. And it's like, you need to interview 40% of your applicants need to be women. Apply it to your world set achievable goals because I think it scares a lot of people off and especially when it's a company-wide thing you think about that as a recruiting manager in mine where I'll like put up a job and I might have 500 applicants and there might be 10 women so for them to come around and then say right 50% hiring and I'm like how do I do that? You bang on there Matt you know it's quotas in and of themselves are a blunt instrument that I think do more harm than good now I've been very vocal about the fact that you need targets but you're right. There's a couple of things and it's a really, really nuanced approach. And you come from a a data science and an analytical background. You know this, it's a numbers game. So if I've got a hundred people in my workforce and there's one woman and I set a target for next year for 50%, so I want to increase that one woman to 50 women, but I've only got 10 open roles hello, there's a bit of math going on here, right? It actually is not achievable. So that's when we start to get into it. Well, okay, it actually means you're going to have to sack probably 40 blokes and hire 40 women. Are there 40 women who are qualified? Yeah, you know, We've got to be much cleverer about target setting. And I agree. And I do want to see much more sophistication around lead and lag measurement. And you've talked about lead measures. So in the next year, we're going to make sure that 40% of our applicants are women. And yes, we'll have all sorts of strategies around doing that. That doesn't mean that they're all going to land, but you know, you're going to have half a chance of increasing your representation of women if you up the level of candidates. We're going to make sure that our shortlists, wherever possible, are going to be 50-50. What are the enablers to that? Well, we need to bring our recruitment teams, both in-house and external on board. Let them know what the strategy is. Let them know what the goals are so that they can then adjust their way of working. It's mathematical and it's systematic. It's a different way of working than going, we're going to have 50% women in leadership by 2023. In some cases, it's not achievable. One of my clients, the CEO, did a mathematical calculation. It was actually in the manufacturing sector and he did it by leader. And he said, well, bottom line is leader number three needs every hire for the next 12 months needs to be a woman if that person's going to achieve their target. It was a beautiful, I love spreadsheets. It was a beautiful spreadsheet. But then it was the sort of thing you could give to a a leader in any part of your organisation, say, here you go. Here's what you need to do. So that sense of I feel overwhelmed by this must come into play as a leader in the organisation, Matt, surely. If you go, well, okay, we're getting to 50% next year. Well, what the hell do I do? Yeah, I think and that's so many people would get that and be like, I genuinely don't know what to do. So having people on board and having that conversation beforehand, of you just need to get to this point of understanding if it's the right thing to do. How we get to that point is probably looks a lot differently. As you said, it's either hey, the boss is telling you you have to do it. If that's your motivation, that's your motivation. Or perhaps they really buy in. Obviously, you would rather they buy in because then they'll have their own ideas and thoughts. But And that includes like my team as well. They might not be the actual recruiting managers on the roles. However, if they're not bought into this idea that we're doing this for the right reasons, 
they might create a hostile work environment for someone coming in, which is the absolute last thing we want to do. So it's so important to get that nailed down first, and then you can be a lot more direct, I guess, with things like targets and stuff like that. I'm glad you brought up hostile work environments because this is another reason why I get a little bit hot under the collar about quotas. And as I said, they're a blunt instrument because I look at, it's all very well to say, well, okay, let's put a quota in and we'll bring all of these people from underrepresented groups, women and others into the organisation. But if the organisation's not ready for it, that is potentially going to cause resentment. And so we've really got to work on the mindsets of the folks that are already in the organisation, get them on board, hearts, minds, efforts, because other than that, what's potentially going to happen is, and I'm seeing it in a sector here in Australia where there's been some government-mandated targets, and I just go, there's just going to be this revolving door. Yes, you might get them in the door, but you're not going to keep those women and other people because that work environment is hostile and it is fueled by resentment, which is fueled by a lack of knowledge. And so I think that's another great call to action from you, Matt. Bring your people on board. You would do it with any other strategy, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it'd just be the worst. I mean, everyone knows how nervous you are when you're starting a new job. And then imagine getting in there and the people have already got it in for you before they even know who you are because they think that you were hired as a token hire or something like it just sets the whole organisation back years, probably. Yep. Okay. So we've heard about your own journey, how to really get started at, at an organisational level, how to deal with resistance, backlash, whatever it may be, and also bringing people on board and that, I guess, the disciplines and the processes that you need to follow. Right now, I, I want to close this out with you giving some advice to people. So there, there will be a person listening, hopefully a lot of people actually listening, and hopefully a lot of people going, I want to do something right now. So what's the call to action? If I'm listening and thinking, geez, I like what he said, and I reckon I've got a role to play either in my work or in my sport or both, if they combine, where do you start? What's the first step? I think talking and listening to the women in your life should always be the first step. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be gender, but let's let's assume we are talking about the women aspect. I think just talking and listening to them, you just learn so much. Like how many people sit down and talk to a colleague and be like, how did that make you feel? Or talk to your friend that you've had for 15 years. Have you ever had a genuine conversation and said, what's that like for you trying to navigate? What are your thoughts? Like I just find as soon as you are willing to to just shut up and actually listen to the women in your life. You learn so much. that It's the most basic starting step, but it's also can be the most powerful and that will resonate through every aspect of your life. Your friends, if it's your partner, if it's your family, if it's your work, like I just don't think you can really go wrong by doing that and you always learn so much about it. It's so obvious once you actually have a look at it and then you talk to the women and they're like, yeah, of course, like where the hell have you been? I just find everyone so graceful though as well. Like women could easily just be like, you guys are idiots. They probably should be, but they're not because <laughs> they're still willing to educate and, and haven't given up on us completely, which is good. But it's almost like, hey, welcome to the conversation. And you just never really realize that everyone's already had this train of thought. And then all of a sudden you think you're a genius and you're like, oh yeah, everyone else has been dealing with this their whole life. I'm now just at 29 when I probably started to really get my head around it was 
yeah, okay, right, I've got a bit of catching up to do here. So that's not revolutionary, as I said, but it's, I think it's so important. It's just, and you just learn so much. Yeah, top advice, my friend, because um, I would have really appreciated someone saying, tell me about your life or tell me about what it's like to be a woman. Uh, well, and for me, tell me what it's like to be a gay woman, Michelle, you know, when you get to share those experiences with someone who really wants to listen. Um, and listeners, I'll put a guide to listening into the show notes because I've, I've got one that helps leaders with just some suggested questions um, and also listening to learn, not listening to solve. And as my darling Nana, God rest her soul, used to say, Michelle, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Learn to use them in proportion, which given I talk for a living is, is a bit of a worry. But anyway, so I agree, Matt. Yeah. Have a listen. Yeah. Have a listen to and as I'm not listening there and I jump in on you, which is <laughs> That's all right. good. <laughs> the other thing you can do there is like, you know, listening doesn't necessarily need to be in the form of sitting down next to someone. It can be like read any book that is recommended by yourself or someone else. You know, watch Julie Gillard's Misogyny Speaks. Like, you know, read Night Games, a really good book that sort of explains how the patriarchy is set up and how it impacts sport. If you're not comfortable having that conversation, I guess you can always consume media and listen that way. Yeah, great advice. Do the work is, I guess, what you're saying. And as someone who actually, I was very, very fortunate to go and see Julia Gillard the other night here in, in Melbourne, 10-year anniversary of the misogyny speech. I highly recommend watching that if you really want to understand the frustration that, that many women, particularly women of my generation, feel. And as she uh, so eloquently said, I just had enough of this shit, <laughs> which was it's shocking in itself. But anyway, okay, so we've talked about what we want to fix, but what are you hopeful for? When you look ahead, Matt, what gives you hope? What makes you think, yes, we're on the way? It's a really good question. I'll start with what I want to see because I just am worried that people are scared of this journey to go on, I guess. So I just kind of am hopeful that they will come on board. But like, I guess one thing that I want to see, and this isn't necessarily filling me with hope, but something I think would make a huge difference. And, I, and I'm maybe starting to see it on a little aspect. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but in the media, when athletes and specifically male athletes are talking about issues outside of their sporting remit. And so it might be someone talking about race or religion or something like that. I would just love to see male athletes standing up and saying, I refuse to work with this person who is, convicted or accused of sexually assaulting women and being like, I don't want to play with this person. Like the pride round issues that happened in the NRL and these athletes were willing to stand up there. And, and for those that don't know, a number of players from Manly are like, I'm not going to wear this pride jersey because it's against my religion. They're, they're willing to take that stand and openly stand up against the LGBTQI plus community. But I never see them do that with regards to a teammate who's had you know, he's got like convictions of, of abusing women and, and they never say, this person's coming to my club. I don't want to play with that guy. I'm hopeful that we start to see a lot more of that because I think if it starts coming from the athletes and the organisations, I think it will then flow through to the fans because the fans are so quick to jump to the men's defence. In the US, a big one, I'm not sure if you're across this one, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Yeah, like it is infuriating. The guy's had 20 four different women come forward and accuse him of sexual assault 
and he just got the biggest contract in NFL history and transferred to another team. Like, I'd love to see players of that team say, I don't want to play with this guy. He's against everything that I've got. So I think we're starting to see that maybe socially, like I'm starting to see that. Maybe it's, I'm lucky with some of my friendship group, but I'm really hopeful that if we started to see that change from the top, it would really make a big impact. I don't think I probably answered your question that well there, but it's something that I've... No, no, I think you have, because I think we can have aspirational hope. Dare to dream, right? (laughs) And it's such a sporting analogy. Like you, Visualisation is such a big part of sport. I've got to visualise myself crossing the finish line before my competitors, running the fastest, you know, being on the dais, accepting the gold medal. So I think that hopeful aspiration is bang on. And God, I cannot agree with you more around the role that athletes and particularly male athletes have in the fight for equality. I've said right from the start, I've said it to politicians, to leaders, to anyone who wants to listen, my two, well, they're now kid adults, you know, 32-year-old son and 28-year-old daughter, they would take notice of an athlete 1,000 times more than they would from a politician or, frankly, someone like me. So athletes Male athletes, full stop, have such a role to play here. And I agree when it comes to violence against women, when it comes to the misogyny and and sexual assault, why aren't they standing up? You know, I think Andy Murray is a great example of really advocating for women. You know, he has constantly corrected media to say, stop calling either me the goat or Rafa the goat or whatever. What about Serena? (laughs) Like, hello, have a look at Serena's record, you know. So I think there's real opportunity there. And I think from an Australian perspective, we are, you know, hot in the middle of another Essendon Football Club saga right now. I've given up on that team. (laughs) Well, I've got to say, I think Essendon have quite a few own goals in the last couple of weeks, notably of which was the appointment of this particular CEO. But for me, the goal that's come out of it is actually, yeah, we've missed it with our due diligence and the, this process, like a complete lack of governance and things like that. But actually, we've got a values misalignment here. You know, Essendon, and I'm proud to say that I worked with Xavier Campbell and the Purple Bombers very early on to set up that coterie group. And they are a very, very strong part of who Essendon are. And of course, they were outraged that a person who represents a set of views and values, which is so contrary to Essendon's, was appointed. Shouldn't have been appointed in the first place. But to give credit where credit's due, the club have come back and said, actually, this isn't in alignment. Now, yeah, it's a good point. Again, this is where sport and individuals and leaders in sport can do the right thing, even when they've stuffed up. And we've all stuffed up. And I think that's the other message. It might be a little esoteric, but I'm taking out of this. You've actually got to have a crack, don't you, Matt? And, and yes, you will not get it right all the time. But the reality is be curious, ask questions, listen, really listen to the answers, particularly when you're talking to women. But check your privilege. And when you're a beneficiary of a system that has been set up for you, how might you use your authority, your leadership and your benefit and your privilege to bring others forward? You've given us a bucket load of actions there and wisdom and advice. But you know, ultimately, I think, as you've said, you're a, a cis, het, straight, white guy who said enough. And I've, I, I'm going to use all of that privilege to bring others forward, particularly women. So good work, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously learning a lot 
at the start there, you know, I love that you challenged me on my my views there because they were probably incorrect. But I also think it's okay to fail on this journey. And I think people should be so comfortable doing that because if you're trying to do the right things, you can't just all of a sudden flick a switch and all of a sudden get it. It's not my lived experience. It's not anything like that. So I appreciate all of the advice that, that you give me, that you provide to people out there. I hope people take it up a lot more. And also anyone who is listening, if they have advice or challenges or, you know, would like to educate me, then I would love that because I want to get better at this. I want to try to be a strong voice for women. I, I know that I can't speak for them, but at least things like maybe stop the conversation and be like, hey, we need to bring some women in or we need to bring some minority groups into this conversation. We can't talk about them as it's five white guys sitting in there. Folks, please do connect with Matt. He's genuinely curious and wants to learn. You've heard it and, and I can vouch for that. I think the other thing, Matt, is that I want to really reinforce that point. You are you can't just flick a switch. You need to do the work. We are evolving. You know, despite our best efforts, you know, the human race continues to exist and evolve. And you know, I, I say to people, take yourself back to when you were a kid. Did you get on a bike with no trainer wheels for the first time and ride it? Now, there'll be some smart ass who says, yes, I did. But anyway, but most of us got on a bike thinking, oh, goody, I'm going to ride this and fell off or wobbled or whatever. And it took falling off, skinning your knees, wobbling around. But it took you a while to learn to ride the bike. So there are many of us now who jump on the bike. We don't even think about it, right? You are going to skin your knees a bit. And you know what? You are inadvertently going to do stuff and people go, excuse me. <laughs> and you go, okay cool, I get it. So I think, you know, have that mindset. I'm learning and it's okay to wobble a bit or skin my knees a bit as I'm learning, as long as I learn from it and I I correct and and keep going. So we will all learn to ride this bike that's called equality. Love it. Awesome. Matt, thanks so much for your time and keep doing what you're doing and you know that I'm in your corner um, backing you all the way. It means a lot, Michelle. Thank you for all of your help ongoing and and in the past as well. It genuinely means a lot to me and you've been a fantastic mentor. So I'm very lucky to have you in my corner. Uh, Good on you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you got a lot of actionable insights out of that interview. You know what you can do now to be a person who's smashing the patriarchy in sport? You can leave a five-star rating. You can leave a review. But importantly, please share this podcast amongst your family, your friends, your colleagues, and pretty much anyone who's involved in the system of sport because together we can close the global leadership gender gap in sport.